today on Ag News Daily. My guess is we're ahead of pace today. We'll be back to normal pace maybe at the end of the week. And then the final week of April, right now, the 8 to 14 day maps are saying we're going to continue this trend of cooler than normal weather. We throw in some rain with that, we may actually be behind pace. And listeners, welcome back to the Ag News Daily Podcast Market Monday edition here. April 17th, 2023. Tana Witcher here on a solo edition to bring you some of the latest headlines. Uh, we typically start off with weather, so let's get right into that. We still are very dry in portions of the U.S. that have been very dry for quite a while. That leaves us with a lot of red flag warnings. We have a lot of those areas covering southeastern Colorado, western Kansas, parts of Texas and Oklahoma, Winds are in the forecast for 20 to 30 miles per hour with gusts of 35 to 40. Relative humidity in those areas will drop as low as 5%. But then you come back up north, we had a little bit of snow this weekend here in Iowa. And that band is continuing to push further east. Parts of Wisconsin are in for some heavy snowfall. 10 to 12 inches of snow has already fallen in that state with more than uh, two to four coming. So we could see a peak at a foot or more in parts of central Wisconsin. But what does that mean for some producers that have already got crops in the ground? So we'll continue to take a look at that long range forecast. The early taste of summer that we got last week in the Corn Belt certainly got planters rolling. Weather Trends 360 said that this was the warmest and fifth driest second week of April in more than 30 years. This warm and dry weather coincided with the earliest eligible corn and soybean planting dates due to federal crop insurance program guidelines. Soil temperatures did get near or exceeded the germination temp, so a lot of planters took off and rolling through the field. However, when you look at the long range forecast, it will not be as warm during this third week of April and potentially fourth week. April is looking to potentially round out closer to average temperatures. Or precipitation in the area is also looking to be slightly above normal. So we could be looking here at a cooler, wetter finish to the month. Cold front will swing through early this week, bring some more of those wintry feeling showers through the Northern Plains. The Northern Plains uh, could see additional low snow melt. So these temperatures will obviously be above freezing and if any of you guys have watched social media lately, it is fascinating to see what rapid changes we've seen coming out of the Dakotas and where these waters are headed now that the melt is causing floods. We'll continue to keep an eye on that. Also, with the dryness coming through, this region in the Texas panhandle north to Nebraska could stay in severe plans for drought, unfortunately. Hopefully, our listeners in that area can see something of relief here shortly. We reported last week on a large fire at the Texas dairy farm. We got a couple of extra details shared this week. The Texas Fire Marshal has been investigating this large fire <clears throat> that broke out at South Fork Dairy in DeMitt, Texas. The dairy experts uh, are showing that it was an accident. The start was. The reported explosion happened uh, around 7.20 in the morning a week ago. The number of cattle or cows died in that fire is relatively close to 18,000. That is still getting verified. Dairy Management Inc. has provided Farm Journal with a couple of these updates. You know, the stating here, obviously, that everybody affected by this uh, is certainly mourning the tragedy there. 
but they wanted to thank local first responders for showing great support, as well as the staff there to make sure that no human life was in this area. They continued to look at white might be the cause. Rumors were stating that it was a machine that uh, sucks the water and manure out of the facility called the honey badger. But it does not look like that is uh, exactly what has happened now. So we'll continue to follow this investigation to nail down what caused this fire. But of course, you could see the cloud of smoke from hundreds of miles away. And that is, of course, what's drawing a lot of attention to this project nationally. As we look forward into other cattle-related news, we combine cattle and drought to see limited hay supplies. And of course, that's going to mean elevated prices. So Russ Quinn from DTN is stating here, supply and demand are going to continue to be out of balance when they talk to hay growers and sellers. Some areas have good hay supply and prices will be fairly reasonable in those regions, but other places that are experiencing drought and don't have irrigation opportunities are going to see hay prices skyrocketing. Hay sold in small squares to uh, area along the East Coast on a per ton basis. An average price there was about $300 a ton. Grass hay will run, run $7.50 per small square and will top out around $12 per small square when you look at the East Coast. But now as you look into some of the drought stricken areas, they continue to monitor what these prices are going to move. Alfalfa hay in large squares has topped out at $2.75 a ton and grass hay at $180 a ton. This is now uh, above the average areas of uh, 180 to 220 for alfalfa and 120 to 130 for grass hay. So we see a continued uh, influx there. But as you look for where drought is stricken in some of these areas, you could see these prices continue to go higher at auction. It'll be something that we'll continue to monitor. But as the DTN article reporter states, is you also want to monitor the quality of the product that you are getting. Another area of quality that the U.S. Department of Agriculture is continuing to applaud is the avian influenza battlegrounds. So fewer than 900,000 birds have died due to HPAI this year. The uh, outbreaks are touted to be subdued due to advanced biosecurity. So we're continuing to monitor this. Biosecurity is our best defense of the USDA. The Unster Secretary Jenny Moffitt stated the latest spread from farm to farm via contamination was through equipment and clothing. This has now been reduced 15% according to studies. These HPAI cases now have uh, limited the number of exposures. About 70% of the outbreaks between 2014 and 15 came from equipment and clothing. So a huge reduction uh, from that side of things. A record number of just shy of 59 million birds have died or been culled due to the infection at this, this time. This compared to 50 million birds during that year. Both of these have been the largest culling instances due to biosecurity measures uh, in the history of the avian flocks. So when we look at this going into next year, March presented us with some great funding coming from the government in order to help us protect our flocks at this time. There's more than $670 million that is earmarked to contain the avian influenza. They are looking to provide owners with 
backup information to or backup funds to cover their losses and to put in facility improvements to stop ongoing outbreaks. So it looks like there is a great number of funds there. If you want more information on that talk, uh, you can look this successful farming article up and take a look on those side of things. When you continue to look at USDA data, we are looking at what advantages have been done in technology as far as planter speed and planting condition understanding. So we look at Megan Anderson from Iowa State University, extension agronomist here in the state of Iowa, stated that Monday was the earliest that we could plant corn here in Iowa and be eligible for federal crop insurance planting. But it's also the earliest planting date for soybeans. So the rest of the state looks here like we could have started for crop insurance on Saturday. Uh, again, temperatures up to where you are farming at, whether you're listening here in central Iowa or around, uh, left that up to your judgment. But as Megan Anderson was talking about is we have technology available in the field now to possibly make this one of the fastest plantings on record. So we will continue to watch that planting progress report. And don't forget uh, what Delaney and I had for discussions last week about where we thought progress was gonna hit this year. So we'll make sure to find out who the winner of that bet was. But let's jump across borders to get an update on Russia and Ukraine. Uh, Ukraine is stating that Russia had unsuccessful attacks on Bakhmut suburbs. Uh, the fighting was intense uh, in that area and continues to uh, battle that war-torn eastern city in Ukraine. Western allies have condemned the sentencing of uh, the British individual. Kremlin handed out 25 years of prison after he publicly criticized the war on Ukraine. Slovakia joined Poland and Hungary in banning imports of grain and other agricultural products from Ukraine. Uh, this is looking to protect their local farmers as they have experienced a significant number of protests, which Delaney reported on last week. But in the same motion, Slovakia has completed a transfer of 13 more MiG-29 fighter jets to Ukraine. So we'll continue to watch this as G7 foreign ministers remain committed to the sanctioning of Russia and providing support to Ukraine. Japan's foreign ministry is going to continue to hopefully uh, provide support there and we'll release another news press conference uh, later today. One of US ambassadors to Moscow visited the detained Wall Street Journal reporter in prison to gain a more, uh, more access to the conditions in which they are in place. The report back came stating that he is in good health and remains very strong spirited. So those are some really good updates on that side of things. The last piece I've got today before we jump into our Market Monday conversation comes from DTN's Todd Neely. His staff reporting article here states what the future of food may look like, narrowed down to six factors that are going to drive food demand. Immigration patterns was his number one item. The European Union is projected to be the fourth largest food importer of rice in the next decade. And when you look at rice varieties specifically, Asian aromatic rice is the bulk of the imports from the uh, European Union. So we'll continue to see where that goes. Food costs and income levels, when you talk rice and other proteins, countries such as China and India, especially the Middle East, are seeing diet diversification. And what is that going to do for ag products being exported from the United States? Of course, when you talk China, you can't avoid their pork imports, especially when you see Hong Kong doubled 
their imports in 2020 as a result of African swine fever. So another demand direction that could come from that. You throw in population trends, which we've talked here on the podcast about where countries are headed. This will have a significant re uh, requirement on total food consumption and for trade. So you watch where middle to low income countries are gonna start to develop higher growth in populations and their younger age demographics may provide them opportunities for higher income. But if you look at current high income countries, looking to see what trends they have had in their diet and desirable for different proteins. Sustainability issues, as you look to monitor, just like we've talked a lot about what Mexico and US are working through now on genetically modified corn, what other country relationships are going to have then, that side of things, which rolls into a sixth category of health concerns. So during the next decade, where are we going to look for healthy food standards and what are those standards going to be? So thanks a lot for hanging out with me during a rundown of Monday's headlines on a sole mission myself. We'll give you a little bit of an update here where markets ended for today. Uh, May corn contract up 10 cents uh, to close out today at 6.76 and a half. When you look at front month soybeans, May contract up 16 cents to close at 15.17. Looking back at the corn, your December corn up six and a half cents to 5.66 and a half. And November soybeans up 10 cents, even today to 13.11. Uh, wheat skin front month May contract 14 cents up and December's contract 15 and a half cents. So as we roll into the livestock markets, live cattle nearly unchanged, uh, up a dollar to 175.75 for the April contract, June up the same amount, 164.87. Live uh, feeder cattle, up to 15 today, April contract at 205.55, and the May contract up 285 to 210.75. Lean hogs up just barely for the day, closing the May contract at 81 even. So we will get into our Market Monday conversation. Here we go. All right, listeners, Market Monday today, April 17th, with Jim McCormick, one of the founding partners of agmarket.net here to give us the latest and what we saw today. So first of all, we've got a little bit of a bet going between the two of us, Delaney and I, Jim, about where we think the corn planting progress is going to end up. Where are estimates pointing things at right now? Well, to put in perspective, last week we were 3% planted. A year ago at this time, we were 4% planted. The range right now for corn is five to 15% is the, is the analyst range for corn, bean plantings, 1% a year ago, nothing planted last week. The range, 1% to 13%. So I guess you could argue both the corn and beans all over the board on what the trade is thinking. Yeah, no kidding. That is a wide range. Just so you know, our listeners are keeping score at home. Delaney said 15% on corn, and I said 18% uh, is our predictions just because we thought there was going to be a real race to it. But how soon are we going to know? what those actual figures are going to be for this week. They release them about three o'clock central time here. Uh, so we'll know within an hour, you know, as we're recording about an hour from now. So we'll get the numbers to now. Now the average trade guest right now is 10% for corn and 4% for beans. So, you know, we're going to be ahead of pace. Now I think, Hannah, the one thing that's going to be really interesting to see is where are we at next week? Because I think we're, I agree with you and Delaney, we are way ahead of pace this week. We made phenomenal progress, at least in portions of the country. Other places, not so much. I guess is we're not going to get a lot of progress done this week. Um, 
maybe a little bit in far southern Illinois where it warms up a little bit quicker, but we've got rain coming in tomorrow, and then we cool right back down with a chance of frost freeze next week. So my guess is we're ahead of pace today. We'll be back to normal pace maybe at the end of the week. And then the final week of April, right now, the 8 to 14 day maps are saying we're going to continue this trend of cooler than normal weather. You throw in some rain with that, we may actually be behind pace as we turn the <laughs> month to May, which is hard to believe considering how much was done more likely this past week. Yeah, what a roller coaster start to the year. But let's first talk corn specifically and what markets did today. So we closed up. But what was trade looking at today if it wasn't necessarily planting data? Oh, a couple of things. First one is what's going on in the Ukraine situation. Um, the Ukraines obviously have used to export most of their product out through the Black Sea region. Russia continues to argue that the um, you know they're not getting a fair share of that grain corridor, which I degrade. I disagree. They've got a lot of grain they're shipping out, but there's other financial things they want done. So Putin's threatening to shut down the grain corridor here in May. That put a little that brought a little bit under the market, and then on top of it, um, you've got Romania, Poland, where the grain that couldn't be shipped out has been railed to those parts of the country, that part of the world. That's depressing their local prices. So the Polish and the Romanians are now asking or wanting or demanding the European Union to do something and stop the overflow of grain into that part of the world. So in general, I think the market was just a little bit nervous that maybe we're going to shut down this grain corridor and not get as much grain out of that part of the world. And if they can't get the grain out of that part of the world, it opens the door for more U.S. sales. Yeah, and that, of course, China doing a little bit of buying there too. But another world power as far as grain production goes is uh, what we saw happening in Brazil and Argentina. What kind of effect did those two areas have on both corn and soybeans today? Well, right now they didn't have a huge impact. Brazil's crop is going to be a huge corn crop by all accounts. They're not going to be able to harvest it till late summer at this point in time. The Argentina crop continues to get decimated. So that is bringing demand here. We had a very strong crush number today. Um, when you look at this, the March crush, it came in at 185.81. That is the second highest crush ever for any month other than December 2021, which shows us the demand is there for both the meal and the oil. And that has to do with Argentina. Argentina is one of the biggest exporters of meal in the world. They obviously don't have the product to export due to the lack of beans to crush. That demand is being driven back to the United States. And our carryout right now at 210 million bushels is very, very tight. So the market's goal right now is actually try to ration out demand, but it's very hard to do that when there's when our competition, primarily Argentina, doesn't have the beans. So uh, the market is in kind of a precarious situation of trying to get high enough to kill off some of that demand. Yeah, and that's interesting as we sit here and try to give our listeners the best perspective on a week-to-week basis. So we really only focus on markets on Monday. So as you're looking at both corn and soybeans, what are some headlines that we should pay attention to during this week before we get to next Monday's conversation? Well, I think what you got to keep an eye on is the weather forecast. I mean, if you look how the weather's traded, I mean, a couple of weeks ago, it looked like, wow, we are going to have a very late spring. We got around Easter, we flipped the switch and boy, it warmed up. It was in the mid eighties, a lot of ground dried out and, you know, we got a lot of grain planted and now we've come out of this weekend. I think some of the temperatures have flipped back a little bit cooler than normal going to last through the end of April. So we're going to keep an eye on, does the models keep that cool, damp weather in, which will delay plantings? The other thing we kind of got to keep an eye on what's going on in the north. I mean, that's pretty amazing. A couple of weeks ago, people were thinking they'll never be able to plant corn anytime soon because of all the snow. 
Um, right now, they're kind of getting the best of both worlds. They're getting some really warm temps, but then cooling down at night, the snow melt is going away, and the flooding that a lot of people thought could happen hasn't materialized, at least to the extent they're fearful of. So uh, that's the other thing we're going to be just keeping an eye on the next week, two weeks, is how quick that snow melt happens and how quick they can get into the fields. Because, you know, can we get all 92 million acres of corn planted? If you can't get 92 million acres of corn planted, you know, what does that mean to meet the demand for next year? So that, you know, it's going to be the planning progress driven by weather is going to be the headline trade for the next two weeks, unless you get some flash news out of Ukraine that, you know, the exports are suspended for some reason. Right. And that's a good point because those seem to be the same headlines that are hitting the wheat market especially when we have these red flag warnings for much of the southern plains and just like you kind of hinted at what is still under snow or possibly being flooded out are those the main headlines coming for wheat or am i missing other pieces those are three i mean there's three headlines yeah there's three pieces we're looking at wheat in the northern plains can we get the spring wheat planted in the southern plains will they ever get moisture now eastern kansas caught some rain the west didn't there's not a lot of rain in the forecast our clients in that part of the world tell us it's getting really, really dire and it becomes, you know, and eventually they, if they do get rain, it may be too little too late. So we're keeping an eye on that. And then lastly, it's just kind of an interesting situation. It's a soft red wheat crop. Overall, it looks pretty good. Some guys are a little bit carried, worried about it's a little bit too wet, but overall you got to say it looks good. But what's interesting about that is the fund position. The funds right now on that Chicago wheat are short over 104,000 contracts. So if you give these funds a reason to get out of that massive short position, it could cause a heck of a rally. So it's something we need to keep an eye on. Yeah, you're exactly right. And, and I was going to give Delaney a hard time for not being here on a market Monday in which almost every commodity we report on finished in the green. So if we switch over to livestock, it's not very often that we see green across the board, especially when you look at all contracts. What's the story there for live cattle? Right now, live cattle had a little bit of a correction the last couple of days, but overall, the you know board is still quite trading quite a bit discount to cash. And right now, we know the supply is very tight. Their biggest problem the cattle market's got is demand. Will you get to the point high enough where you can ration out demand? But at this point in time, the consumer is still out spending. We're worried about interest rates. We're worried about credit card debt. That is definitely something that we need to be concerned about. But if anybody who's gone on spring break over the last couple of weeks, they will contest. The airlines are full. The hotels are full. The restaurants are full. So at this point, the American consumer continues to spend. The jobs number overall is relatively good. If they can continue to spend, hopefully that will continue to keep that demand for that beef market. But if you are a beef producer, you got to be a little bit leery. You start seeing the headlines of the consumer pulling back. Or uncertainties of the stock market, uncertainties of a recession, you could get a pretty hard correction. But right now, the tight supply continued with strong consumer demand should hopefully keep this cattle market going in a bull market. Yeah, we had seen a headline. I can't remember if it was Delta or which airline it was, said that they're looking at record bookings this summer for uh, vacation, summer vacation travels. So that does certainly point, at least in the short term, to potential continued consumer spending. But now if we look at lean hogs, how do you feel about possibly last week being a new bottom in the market? What do we have to look at there to see if there's a rally on the way? Well, I'm optimistic. Hopefully we have. I mean, we took out some critical support on Thursday and then kind of inside day on Friday. We're trying to bounce back. We had a nice move today. We've got to start taking out some moving averages. I think the first thing, like on these June hogs, we'd like to get a settlement over that spike low made on March 23rd. Was That low was 8780 
your 10-day moving average is 88.28. If we can start getting over that, maybe it'll start getting this hog market to rebound a little bit. If you are a consumer, I mean, the reality is, like I said, the steak market's still looking relatively good, but not everybody is in that frame. Unfortunately, there are some people who are on the other end of the economic spectrum. And right now, pork is very, very cheap at the grocery store right now. And hopefully that will start driving some demand to the pork industry. We're a little bit oversupplied. The talk now is that we're going to slowly cut back on those kills. If we can tighten up the supply a little bit, get that demand to come into the summer grilling season. Hopefully we start seeing this hog market rebound, but maybe just maybe after that kind of a false breakout last week, we get a rebound today. We get a little file through on Tuesday, Wednesday that you could argue at least temporarily the hog low has been put in. No, that was great information. And usually, like I said, I got Delaney here to lean on for anything that I missed, but I'm just going to ask you, what did I miss here that our listeners might find value in? Well, right now, I, I think, like I said, the big thing I'm going to tell producers about, you know, we've had prices up high. We've had a pretty good break in everything. We are starting to work our way back. Our market hopefully makes another move back up. Um, but in the big picture, I'm going to encourage producers out there to make sure they know their break-evens and make sure they start locking those break-evens in. The reality is we are probably in the big turn as we end up with a big corn crop and we are going into in El Nino, traditionally in El Nino years. I think it's some stat is like 14 out of 17 years we had El Nino years, we ended up at trend or better corn yields. So the argument could be said that we have the odds are high that we could have above trend line yields. If we plant 91 plus million acres of corn, we throw a trend line yield in it. I would argue that the odds that we're going to be below five are much higher than the odds will be above six. So this is a rally that hopefully we can get on the scare of this cool damp weather in the next couple of months that'll give us a push back up. But this is a push that you need to take advantage of to lock in your margin. Because if we follow a big Brazilian crop followed up by a big US crop, combine that with a little bit of economic weakness around the world, we could see prices a lot lower than they are now this late summer into fall. So uh, don't be afraid to take advantage of rallies. Yeah, I like that. That was great input. If our listeners want to follow along with you and agmarket.net, how is it best that they do that? You can reach me directly at 815-665-0461. You can reach any of the Ag Market team members at 844-424-6758 or go to agmarket.net to sign up for a free trial of our research. Awesome, Jim. We appreciate you taking time out of your day today on Monday. Well, thank you for having me and good luck in the planting season, folks. Well, there you go, your Monday market news, as well as headlines. So thanks for hanging out with me today on the solo edition. We'll be back again tomorrow, but for today, we're going to let you go.